The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. to set you free on this Thursday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in talk radio of for and by you, the people. Every day I wake up and there's more craziness coming out of Washington, D.C. Many of us can't keep up. Some people uh, jokingly are saying online they're watching ID channel and things about serial killers as opposed to what's coming out of the White House from Sean Spicer or even the president himself on Twitter before they go to bed because it's giving them nightmares. Well, in this hour, we have two great guests. They're not going to give you nightmares. They're going to give you facts. They're going to give you information so you can form your own opinions based on what is coming out of Washington. I mean, there are fake Twitter accounts, even fake Donald Trump and Sean Spicer accounts. I think some people uh, get confused. And depending on where you're getting your news, you might get confused. But our guests won't do that to you or for you. I think they'll educate you and they'll enlighten you and they'll clarify the fact from fiction. First up is Carl Frisch. Carl is executive director of Allied Progress. They're a nationwide progressive advocacy organization. They use hard-hitting research and creative campaigns to hold Wall Street and powerful special interests accountable. It is more than a pleasure to have Carl back on the show. Hey, Carl, good afternoon and welcome. Hey, Leslie, how are you? Good, thank you, and good to have you with us. Um, let's, Happy to be here. Uh, uh, let's talk about, uh, first up, labor nominees. Okay. Um, We have Andy Pudzer, who withdrew his name for consideration. And we have a lot of uh, stuff floating around. Some people say Oprah had something in an interview with his ex-wife. Some people say there was treatment of employees. Some people say it was the employment of uh, an undocumented immigrant in his own home as a housekeeper. And some say it was D, all of the above. What does your information and what does your research and your uh, sources tell you uh, are facts versus fiction on this, Carl? I think it was E, all of the above, and more. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> and let's talk about all of it and more. So I think um, it was clear that the Senate Republicans and the Trump administration were having issues with their vetting of Mr. Puzder. After all, his confirmation hearing was delayed not once, not twice, not three times, but five times. Um, and he would finally withdrew the day before his confirmation hearing was actually supposed to start. Um, so in that period, all sorts of things came out on his background, which showed that the Trump administration really didn't spend much time vetting him before announcing his name. We learned not only that he hired a undocumented immigrant as a housekeeper, but that as a fast food CEO, he said that 40% of his managers were undocumented, and he thought that the federal government should condone employers who hire undocumented immigrants. So that was obviously something that was going to drive uh, some conservative elements to uh, think twice about his nomination. Um, And then we also learned um, about, you know, uh, the domestic violence allegations, which were reported by a small paper in St. Louis, um, and then picked up by Politico, 
when they found that the Oprah Winfrey show had hosted his ex-wife in disguise to talk about the allegations. And that was in 1990. But um, a month later, the tape was found. Um, a reporter from Politico was able to dig up the tape. And in the interim, groups like ours, Allied Progress, launched a television ad in uh, key states to call on targeted senators to oppose his nomination. Um, and every day seemed to be a drip, drip, drip. But the same day that he pulled out, we sent a open letter to the Senate Health Committee that he was going to be going before for his confirmation, telling them that they should ask him about his ties to Russia. Because if you remember, there was that story that said that campaign operatives in the in the Trump uh, campaign had been working with uh, Russian intelligence or, or officials from the Russian government. Well, Andy Puzder was an official in the Trump campaign, and Andy Puzder had more than 50 different franchises in, uh, in Russia. Uh, he got in hot water in Russia because when he closed about 30 of those, he failed to pay the severance. So he got in deep trouble with the Russian government over that, and we don't know if he ever paid the fine. So we wanted to know uh, if if they would ask questions about that, and then within a matter of a couple hours, uh, you know, he was uh, pulling himself out of consideration. When we look at what has happened since then, um, and before we talk about the second choice that the president has put forth, anything else you want to talk about with regard to Andy Puzder? No. Uh, I think um, I think he did the right thing in, in pulling himself out for consideration. And unfortunately, uh, President Trump doesn't seem to have learned his lesson, which is that he should appoint somebody who will be an advocate for workers. Yeah, most definitely. And and I think this also shows, though, Colin, I think you'd agree with me that not just on this, but any other appointment, um, extreme vetting, excusing the phrase, uh, needs <laughs> to be done by both Democrats and Republicans because you can unearth some uh, dirt, but not just dirt, uh, information that shows an individual as a conflict of interest and is not the most qualified or best suited for the position. Perhaps this should have been done with other uh, key individual. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but you remember, I mean, the threshold is a lot different now. There are Republican nominees for various positions that have similar backgrounds uh, that Democratic nominees had and were disqualified for. And, and these Republicans are having no problems getting confirmed. So Republicans have a much higher tolerance for unethical behavior, which, which seems very clear. Um, and we've always said, if the Trump administration isn't going to vet these people, we will. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I, I think this is an example of that. But I agree with you. It should have been done with others. So now let's talk about second place, the runner up in the beauty contest. And this is a Bush Bush era attorney. This is R. Alexander Acosta. This is a Hispanic right. individual um, of a Cuban American background, I would imagine, being from Florida. That's just my guess. And this is the president's second choice to lead uh, the Department of Labor. I want to read, Carl, from your organization, Allied Progress, uh, the, the statement that you uh, put out uh, earlier. Quote, sure. President Trump is now O2 in the vetting of his labor nominees. Anyone willing to look beyond Mr. Acosta's Wikipedia page would see that he is a controversial figure whose mismanagement of the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division led to scandal and a years-long investigation. It took the division years to recover from the Bush-era mismanagement that happened in part on Acosta's watch. Before I get to more on that, um, 
uh, first of all, do you feel, Carl, that unfortunately, perhaps even our president is getting information on individuals like this uh, in these positions uh, from Wikipedia or just Googling someone's name? <laughs> I don't even know if they're using the Internet to look up these people. Um, you know, in this situation, we have an, a, a, a circumstance where uh, not even 18 hours after his problematic nominee withdrew his nomination, he's already nominating somebody else. Surely they did not have time to, uh, you know, really vet this guy either. And, you know, the consequences of that are already evident. Their Politico is already reporting that um, Acosta, uh, as a prosecutor, uh, gave a sweetheart plea agreement to a billionaire in an underage sex uh, case. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, but this is the same billionaire who's in trouble right now on, on charges. Um, and, you know, back in 2002, Trump called this guy a terrific guy. So we've gone from allegations of domestic abuse to billionaires getting weak plea deals in underage sex cases in a matter of 18 hours. Wow. Unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. When we... When we just look at uh, this uh, alone, I mean, just (laughs) I'm in shock just, you know, hearing that. And, you know, I didn't know a lot about this guy. You know, I had to do a little Googling uh, myself, you might say. Um, But this this mismanagement of the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division uh, that led to the scandal uh, that led to a years long investigation. Why on earth would Donald Trump? or anybody advising him, give a thumbs up on this guy, because obviously (laughs) even some Republicans might be unhappy about this. Because Donald Trump's middle name is Hubris. You know, he he is 100%, you know, steadfast in his conviction that he is right, even when 100% he is wrong. So there's no telling him that it's a bad idea to do something that he has convinced himself is a good idea. The same probably goes for Stephen Bannon. So, uh, folks that want to stay in, in Trump's good graces know not to disagree with him. You, but Trump you, had like an hour-long meeting with him last night, and he decided this is who he wants, so this is who he gets. I think and it's whoever kisses his butt me. the most, you know? I mean, seriously, I think yeah. whoever, you know, says what he likes. You also added, Carl, simply put, the last time Alexandra Acosta, and this is an excellent point, managed a division of a federal agency. It ended in scandal, and now President Trump wants him to manage an entire federal agency. We understand that the president is still reeling from his last failed labor nomination, but that doesn't mean he should nominate someone who is wholly unqualified for the job. Americans deserve a secretary of labor who will fight for workplace safety, fair wages, and the rights of working families. It's clear Mr. Acosta is not that person. Very different than our former labor secretary, Secretary of Labor, Tom Perez, who we had on this program a, a number of times. Um, before we, we take a police, I mean, there. This is yeah. an, important, an important job, and it, just, it, it requires an important and serious individual to do it. Uh, before we take a break, Carl, I want to ask, are any Republicans uh, pushing back? Is it too early, or are they just uh, toting that party too line? Early to tell. Too early to tell. Too early to tell. A lot of the times these things uh, squeak by because Republicans don't have the stomach to, to say no twice, but we're going to make sure that they, that they consider that option.
All right, Carl, uh, thank you. We will uh, definitely talk more with you about this. Carl Frisch is Executive Director of Allied Progress. They're a nationwide progressive advocacy organization. They use hard-hitting research and creative campaigns to hold Wall Street and powerful special interests accountable. Follow him on Twitter, at Carl Frisch. That's K-A-R-L-F-R-I-S-C-H. The website is alliedprogress.org. I'm Leslie Marshall. Coming up, a second guest joining us right here on The Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. Don't miss it. Leslie Marshall, welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. Our second guest in this hour is Itamar Rabinovich. Itamar formerly served as Israel's ambassador to the United States. Currently, he's the president of the Israel Institute. He recently authored a biography of Israel's former prime minister, Yitzhak Rabin, and it will be published by Yale University Press later this month. Uh, ambassador Rabinovich, thank you for joining us and taking the time, sir. Appreciate your My time. Pleasure. My good af- pleasure. Good afternoon. Um, I am very confused, as I'm sure many Americans are, regardless of where they stand on Israel, regardless of where they stand on two-state solution, the Middle East peace crisis that's been going on, and whether or not they voted for or against Donald Trump. Donald Trump today said that one-state solution, or yesterday, one-state solution, two-state solution, he's for both. Ambassador Rabinovich, you can't be for both. Would you agree? Yes, I think it was uh, yesterday's uh, press conference uh, with President Trump and Prime Minister Antonio was a very confusing uh, event because there were many conflicting messages, uh, many loose ends. Uh, this was a meeting uh, and a presentation by two leaders who uh, were determined to have a good, successful meeting to demonstrate that uh, Israel has a better relationship with the Trump administration uh, than it did with the Obama administration. But it did not reflect any thorough thinking about uh, what policy should be, how ideas should be implemented uh, into policy. And uh, therefore, people emerged confusing from watching and reading about this press conference. It's also confusing when you have um, uh, the, the, the president saying, hey, you know, you should stop building the settlements when in campaigning, and even since he's been elected, he seems to be either turning his head on uh, more building of the settlements or in agreement with uh, President uh, Netanyahu regarding those settlements. Uh, That's further confusion, correct? That that is correct. That is one of the uh, contradictions in the the situation because uh, candidate Trump and then President Trump and uh, various spokesmen on behalf of his administration, have been sending conflicting signals. Uh, you know, he appointed uh, an ambassador to Israel who is identified with the settler movement and is very right wing, and yet he spoke against uh, unlimited construction. He says that uh, he said in, during the campaign 
and repeated it since that uh, uh, this is that is to say Israeli Palestinian peace is the ultimate deal and he would like to be the one who makes it and uh, we know that when you make a deal you have to deal with uh, both parties and I could go on and on and, and speak about these contradictions that need to be sorted out they can be sorted out but an administration has to be in place it has to decide that this is an important issue on its agenda, and then it needs to uh, sort out these contradictions and put together a coherent policy. There's so much going on here. I mean, Donald Trump, we don't really know where he stands. And I I think even uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu made some kind of a joke, the art of the deal, with reference to his book. Um, This relationship is not as warm and cozy as people thought it would be, to uh, your point, uh, after I asked the first question. Uh, Correct, first off. And and second, uh, what does that mean for the future? Because right now we have Nikki Haley, uh, the U.N. ambassador, who says the United States absolutely favors a two-state solution. Uh, Polls show uh, that Americans, uh, even uh, American Jews, uh, favor a two-state solution. Polls show, depending on who the pollster is, but that Israelis uh, favor uh, a two-state solution. Um, And then when you have Donald Trump's nominee, as you said, uh, who got a lot of heckling at the Senate confirmation hearings today, um, he actually apologized because he has such stinging criticism of liberal American Jews. He promised to be less inflammatory in an official capacity. When you have that, a Muslim ban, so much instability in, uh, in, in, in the region, does this just make a peace process, whether it's one state or two state, more difficult in the future? Uh, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid you're right. Uh, to begin with, 70% of Israelis... Uh, support the, uh, the two-state solution, and I should say I'm one of them. Uh, you know, one, what does one-state solution mean? It means one, one state with the Israelis and Palestinians, and the Palestinians, Palestinian Arabs uh, would eventually be uh, a majority in that state, and Israel uh, would lose either a Jewish or a democratic character. It's unacceptable to 70% of, of the Israelis. At this point, uh, and, and this, of course, needs to, uh, to be in the background to the meeting yesterday. We had a meeting between two beleaguered uh, leaders. I don't need to elaborate on President Trump's problems at home. Prime Minister Antonio has two issues. He is being investigated personally. Right, right, right. Uh, um, uh, Ambassador Rabinovich, we're going to take a break. Hang on, sir. And by the way, the ambassador is uh, joining us uh, live uh, from Israel uh, today here on the Leslie Marshall Show. We're going to be back with Ambassador Rabinovich. We'll talk more with him regarding Trump's meeting with Netanyahu and backing away from that two-state solution. Don't go away. back with former Israeli ambassador to the United States, Itamar Rabinovich. 
Joining us live from Israel, president of the Israel Institute, and he recently authored a biography of Israel's former prime minister, uh, one of my favorites, Yitzhak Rabin, published by Yale University Press, coming out later this month. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, thank you for holding and welcome uh, back. Uh, we were talking about Trump meeting with Netanyahu, talking about the seemingly uh, backing away from the two-state solution, the, you know, two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinian state, uh, something that you favor, majority of Israelis do, majority of uh, American Jews do, and uh, very confusing when you have the U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley, saying U.S. absolutely favors a two-state solution, and when you have David Friedman not seemingly wanting to be on board, uh, someone who the president has put forth as a nominee uh, to be uh, the ambassador uh, to Israel uh, for the United States. A lot of uh, heckling and certainly a lot of questions, even an apology came from him. So what we were talking about before, as you uh, recall, Mr. Ambassador, is that this is all over the place. And this uh, mess, when you already have such instability in that region on this very issue, just lends itself to more instability. And that can be dangerous, especially as some of those uh, Gulf nations like Jordan or even Egypt have, have improved relationships with Israel over the years, correct? That is, that is correct. They, there was a reference to Jordan and Egypt uh, because both leaders uh, spoke yesterday about a regional approach. Uh, to uh, dealing with the Israeli-Palestinian issue, namely uh, to involve uh, countries like Egypt, uh, Jordan, Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, one of the, the uh, more positive developments uh, in Israel's position in the Middle East in the past few years has been a great improvement in its relationship with these countries. Uh, these Arab countries view uh, Iran and view uh, ISIS, Islamic State, is a threat and view Israel as a partner and an ally against them, and they are willing to cooperate with Israel, mostly under the table. And they would be interested in participating uh, in a solution of the Palestinian problem, but, you know, one will have to uh, to do something for the Palestinians as well. You cannot just deal with the Arab states and, and leave the Palestinians on the sidelines. So... That was mentioned yesterday, but again uh, mentioned casually uh, and not as a, as a policy issue. Yesterday's meeting was, you know, mostly about atmosphere. Uh, there was a, a mutual will uh, to send uh, positive waves uh, towards one another, uh, but uh, no specific and no concrete uh, dealing with, uh, with these issues. And the Middle East, as you, as you said correctly, uh, is an area full of problems. The Israeli-Palestinian issue is one of them. Right now, not at the top of the agenda as compared, let's say, to the civil war in Syria. And and so I think in President uh, Trump's uh, mind, this is something that possibly could be dealt with later. Uh, right now, he wanted to be nice to Netanyahu and to Israel, uh, display goodwill, and, but uh, no real policy. So basically, uh, almost a, a, like a photo op, right? Like a visit that didn't necessarily um, accomplish much. Uh, what is the opinion of Israelis on Donald Trump? How do they feel on, a, on Donald Trump, Mr. Ambassador? Yeah, you know, Israelis in this respect are not different from uh, most uh, most other people around the globe. I think the whole globe, uh, people in Europe, people in Asia are 
fascinated, mesmerized, confused, embarrassed. Um, they see uh, somebody who came to power surprisingly, uh, ran a brilliant election campaign, uh, came unprepared for the task, is uh, hopefully learning on, uh, on the job. Um, they see the contradictions. You know, let's take Russia, as I said. Maybe the single most important issue on America's foreign policy agenda right now. So presumably, President Trump wants a good relationship with Russia, and then uh, he criticizes the Russian annexation of Crimea and prompts a negative Russian response, and, and people are puzzled. Does he or does he not want uh, a good relationship with uh, Russia? And, you know, the same applies to uh, to China, to NATO, and uh, to many other issues on the on the global agenda. So Israelis are as confused as Englishmen are or as uh, uh, Koreans are. When we look at the world, and we are a smaller world in which we all have one common enemy, I think that's ISIS, regardless of what somebody's ideology is or religion is, culture, ethnicity, or even geographically where somebody uh, is on the map. Um, Great Britain, France, Sweden have reaffirmed their support for Palestinian statehood, a two-state solution, uh, just as Nikki Haley uh, said today, and, and I repeat again, that the United States absolutely uh, favors a two-state solution. I want to read you something uh, from the ambassador of Sweden, Olaf Skog. He said, quote, it is very dangerous to move away from the two-state solution idea, especially before you have something viable as an alternative. Would you agree with that, or would you say, Mr. Ambassador, with your experience, you looked at all the alternatives, uh, Israel, along with all of its allies, including the United States, and the two-state well, solution is the best solution. There is there is no real alternative to uh, to a two-state solution because uh, one state is, is not uh, is not a real uh, is not a real option. It's uh, uh, you know it's it's a very it, it can happen, and if, if something is done uh, inadvertently, we may end up in that. In that situation, but that, that for me and for many others uh, would be a, a, a negative, a, a negative development. So, uh, a, a two-state solution is not just an option. Now, yesterday, uh, President Trump said, almost in a flippant fashion, "You know, uh, kids, Israelis and Palestinians, you figure out what you want. It has, it has to be accessible to both of you." And I will support it. I don't have my own uh, my own preference. You know, for me and for many others, uh, in order for the world to function, uh, it needs leadership. Uh, there is only one superpower, with all due respect to Russia, and that's the United States. And you know, we uh, we in the world uh, look up to the United States and look up to Washington and the White House uh, for policy and for options and for preferences. We may like some of them, we may not like some of them, but uh, we would like to see clear policies and, and the world will have to come to terms with them. I, I want to know, where does, do you think, 
Netanyahu truly stand on the two-state solution. And I say that because lip service has been given to him uh, supporting it, but many would say actions, especially regarding uh, more building of settlements and more aggressively building of settlements, um, doesn't seem to speak to that and seems to be fanning the flames of anger um, with the Palestinian people, uh, many of which, who not just Palestinian, uh, throughout the world view as uh, being occupied by Israel. Um, well, you know, he yesterday absolutely refused to express support for the two-state solution. I, I need to to say something about the system of government. Uh, you know, uh, we don't have a presidential system. We have a parliamentary system. A government rely on a coalition. In Mr. Netanyahu's coalition, there are parties to the right of, uh, of his own party. Um, they uh, object to the two-state solution. They represent... The, the West Bank settlers, and uh, in order to keep his coalition together, he's uh, bending in, in their direction. So yesterday he uh, tried to avoid a direct answer to the question whether he still supported the two-state solution, and I think that's where he is. He's, uh, uh, eight years ago, in a famous speech at the Bar-Ilan University, uh, he uh, expressed support for the two-state solution, He's not saying that. He's not repeating that today. So we have to assume that uh, this is his policy today. Uh, I should uh, begin to say earlier, and I'd like to to say that again. The meeting yesterday was between two beleaguered uh, leaders. Uh, I don't have to expand on President Trump's uh, problems settling into power. Americans know about it, you know, uh, from direct experience. And Netanyahu has uh, personal problems. He's being investigated, and he has political issues keeping uh, a coalition together with very aggressive, extreme right-wing elements. So they were trying to help each other in a way, uh, but uh, they both face serious problems, and yesterday was a manifestation of what happens when two beleaguered leaders meet. When we look at, you know, what you uh, just, you know, talked about, uh, not just Netanyahu and not just Trump, um, but when you have these types of remarks from Donald Trump, uh, that quote, I'm looking at two state and one state formulations. This is the news conference yesterday with Mr. Netanyahu quote. I like the one that both parties like. I'm happy with the one that both parties like. I can live with either one. Obviously, the people of Israel, the majority of the people of Israel, uh, the majority of the Palestinians can't live with either one. What has been the reaction and response to that very sentence, that very statement in the past 24 hours, Mr. Ambassador? On your side side of the pond (laughs) in Israel. Yeah. No, no, I'll respond to that. You know, there are quite a few similarities right now between the political situation in the United States and, and Israel. In both countries, there is a great uh, polarization. Uh, in our case, uh, the issue on, uh, over which left and right are most sharply divided is the Palestinian issue. And so what, what you saw yesterday uh, and today in the Israeli media, both uh, electronic and print media, is that uh, right-wing media uh, were delighted with uh, what they... Uh, interpreted as the United States not walking away, but taking some distance 
from the two-state solution. And the left-wing or liberal media uh, criticizing the, the press conference and the performance of uh, both leaders is expressing more confusion than coherent uh, policy. So reaction is divided in a divided country. I think we're going to make a deal. That's what Donald Trump, President Trump, said yesterday. Do the Israeli people, even the Palestinians, sometimes resent, uh, regardless of the financial assistance the United States provides to Israel, sometimes uh, resent the United States weighing so heavily in on, not just opinion-wise, but with actions uh, and even directives, if you will, um, on this very issue, uh, obviously the two-state solution and also the building of the settlements? Uh, you know, there are always uh, uh, critics because uh, when the United States takes a position and people uh, have a different position, uh, they resent the fact that the superpower uh, imposes its position or uh, exerts influence in order to promote its position. But Israelis know very well and others know very well that the only power in the world that can help Israelis and Arabs make peace is the United States. And if you look back, you know, the two peace treaties that we have, the peace with Egypt in 79, was facilitated to a great extent by President Jimmy Carter, and the, the peace signed between Israel and Jordan in uh, 1994, uh, again, was, was very much facilitated by the Clinton administration. And other lesser, uh, more limited peace deals, the armistice agreements, uh, were brokered by uh, policymakers uh, like uh, Henry Kissinger and other American uh, diplomats and, and leaders. So there is no substitute. The, the European uh, Union cannot play that role. Russia is not uh, trusted. China is not in the game. Uh, so it's, it's only the United States. So even if some people would be critical of this or that position, taken by the United States, there is, on the whole, uh, an appreciation and, at the end of the day, gratitude to the United States for playing that role. Yesterday, Donald Trump turned to Mr. Netanyahu and said, uh, quote, um, as with any successful negotiation, both sides will have to make compromises. You know that, right? And Mr. Netanyahu responded with a smile, both sides, he said, uh, and he emphasized the word uh, both. Um, did, did you, because I did, uh, find that a bit patronizing from Donald Trump toward Netanyahu? You know yeah. what I, you know what I have to say, Mr. Ambassador. I wasn't there, but my female intuition is that um, the meeting went very different than both of them expected, and the personalities were. It wasn't the bromance, perhaps both of them were looking to have. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I uh, in commentaries, I. And maybe in the very media, I used precisely the uh, the same expression that you use, patronizing. That particular sentence and that uh, sort of cynical smile that uh, uh, was seen at, uh, when when that uh, comment was made seemed very patronizing. And I'm I'm sure Camille Santana was was not pleased. I I'll say this way. During the campaign, uh, during the campaign, uh, many uh, in Israel trying to figure out, you know, what's better for us, quote unquote, uh, Trump or Hillary Clinton. I think Netanyahu was torn. I mean, he uh, 
Uh, he don't have a good time with uh, uh, President Obama. Uh, he knows that Secretary, uh, Secretary Clinton as president, had she been elected, would have followed not exactly the same, but a similar policy. But he knew what he would be getting with uh, President Trump. One did not know, and one does not know what, what one is getting. And if uh, President Trump goes into the arena to make a deal, and he, once you get into the arena and your prestige is linked to that effort, you can then uh, exert a lot of influence and, and pressure. I think uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is, is worried by finding himself uh, in the ring with uh, the 800-foot-pound uh, uh, gorilla. And and if the polls were accurate on your side of things in Israel, uh, the Israeli people definitely seem to have more of a fondness for Hillary Clinton, maybe just because of her last name, Bill Clinton, was very liked by the Israelis. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, thank you so much for taking the time, sir. And I, I certainly hope that uh, things won't be uh, so rocky and that uh, our president will recognize that he is on an equal footing with other world leaders and he should not speak down to them. I'm not a big fan of Netanyahu, but... Uh, he is the leader of Israel, currently the state of Israel. Uh, ambassador Itamar Rabinovich, thank you. Uh, formerly the Israeli ambassador to the United States, currently president of the Israel Institute and author of a book coming out by Yale University Press later this month about former Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. I'm Leslie Marshall, back after this. When we come back live from our nation's capital, talk media news, don't go away. keeps retiring, he says, and comes out of it to cover for folks. Bob Ney joining us live from our nation's capital with Talk Media News. Uh, Bob, Trump's crazy, crazy press conference today. Cool. Uh, I can't do it. Uh, yeah, leakers uh, will be caught. You know, the New York Times reporter who broke Trump's campaign Russia story is the same reporter who actually broke the Clinton email server story. Um, don't Do we no longer have under the Trump regime a free and fair press. I mean, he just seems to be. You, you know, Bob. You're, you know, you're there and you've been there. Um, it, is this a violation of the First Amendment? Is, is this just unprecedented? Does a president have the right to pick and choose who in the media um, they allow in that room? Well, I mean, they can technically do it. Of course, over the years, people take turns to speak. You know, you know how it runs. People are selected, but eventually, it gets to most people. Um, so he can do what he wants in the sense that there's nothing legally can be done. But I'm, I mean, I must say there's just certain places he's not going to pick to ask a question anymore. So I think they're just going to have to try to, you know, nudge and force their way in. But I, I've been involved in 42 years in politics and now eight or nine in the media and been around it. Honestly, Leslie, I, I, my, my jaw's dropping. I've never seen anything like today, ever. Uh, he he really he called a CNN fake news. He said the press gets information right. illegally. Um, I I have to say, I I don't see fake news coming out of CNN. I I just don't. I I think that uh, CNN, uh, CBS, even Shepard Smith on Fox have been bold enough to call the president a liar when he has lied. So is it that there's fake news, or is it just news the president doesn't like about him? 
I think it's news about him because, like you know and I know, there are certain news stories that will be maybe, they're not necessarily lies, but things are twisted or exaggerated or you can read between the lines. That's the, the nature of human beings who write. Um, you know, it happens. And it's subjective opinion. Now, fake news, we all know what that is. When something's completely made up and it's put on and you think it's a real website. But the president obviously just doesn't like, you know, a yep. lot of the media. A- absolutely, Bob. We are out of time, but we will talk to you soon. I'm sorry you keep coming out of retirement unless you're enjoying it. Coming out of retirement. Bob Nay, live from our nation's capital with Talk Media News. Always more to come on The Only True Democracy in Talk Radio.